1: I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. My guest today, Jack Keen. General, welcome. It's great to have you on today's program.
0: Yeah, delighted to be here, Bill.
1: General Keene is a foreign policy and national security expert. He's a retired four-star general. is the former vice chief of staff of the U.S. Army, currently serves as the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and he is also the Fox News senior strategic analyst. Sir, I have listened to you for years, and your knowledge is powerful, and I, I'm, I'm grateful that you can share this today with our listeners. I thought one of the significant headlines... Over the past week was the following. It was on Wednesday morning when the president came out to make his address. And before he even said hello, he said this. As long as I am president, Iran will never have a nuclear weapon. I felt that was the headline of the week. Your feeling.
0: Yeah, well, that's very consistent with what the basis for his getting out of the JCPOA or nuclear deal was with the Iranians, because that deal, we're five years into it, having been signed in 2015, and in 10 more years, all restrictions are removed for the development of nuclear weapons. In other words, the Iranians have a clear, uh, unimpeded path by virtue of the United States, France, Germany, and England, Russia, and China agreeing to that, which was absurd. And that's why the president has continued and consistently continued to emphasize Iran is not going to be permitted to have a nuclear weapon. And I, and I really believe uh, the president uh, had a big win here this week with the bold and provocative move of taking down Soleimani and what the impact that that has had on the regime. Is is strategically very significant. This this regime has been pushed back on its heels by its own people, as we've seen for the last weeks and months in demonstrations. Not having seen those kind of civil unrest and pushback in 40 years. And by the way, Soleimani was part of the pushback by those people because he was leading the efforts for the foreign wars, and the people were opposed to it. And then and then came the Iranians' mistake, which was increasing escalation to include not just taking down an American drone and bombing and seizing tankers and also attacking a, a Saudi oil field very successfully with cruise missiles and we'll come back to that military capability later uh, they had they launched 11 attacks using their proxies against bases where United States troops were housed in Iraq and the 11th one uh, killed an American and as a result of that, five airstrikes were conducted against them. The Iranian regime decided to humiliate the United States by storming the U.S. embassy, which I think was humiliating. And and also, in the minds of our uh, national security leaders, uh, I was told by two senior high officials on Friday after the Soleimani attack that they were planning to conduct multiple attacks at multiple targets in in different cities. So we conducted this bold move to take Soleimani down. Um, And as a result of it, the Iranians showed considerable restraint. Another translation to that in terms of their attack on us is they backed up and they backed down. And uh, they haven't done that since the late 1980s when Reagan took out a naval base and some of their oil fields and that Persian uh, Gulf crisis ended. This is actually more strategically uh, significant, Bill. I,
1: I heard you and say that. I heard you say that, I think, on Wednesday of this week. You said in 40 years, Iran has blinked twice.
0: Yeah, and this is the second time. And what, what's, what's happening today? Uh, to them, and this will break. We'll break it down a little bit in terms of why it's so strategically significant. Their credibility is, is going to be uh, diminished, uh, you know, as a result of where they stand. The the why didn't they? They had other options, you know. They could have used uh, cruise missiles and short and medium range ballistic missiles against the U.S. bases in the region, not. Iraqi bases where U.S. troops were at. We have bona fide air base, multiple air bases, a major Navy base in Bahrain, and major uh, headquarters bases in, uh, in Doha uh, in Qatar. And, they, and their cruise missiles could have penetrated those bases, even though some of them have Patriot missiles there, because they could fly under the radar. So they could have conducted a relatively devastating attack. Uh, that certainly would have killed the Americans. Why didn't they do that? They had the capability to do it.
1: They well, knew why do you that think?
0: That attack would be. Here's the reason. They knew full well that this president, unlike every president they've been dealing with, would have come after them uh, overwhelmingly. And here's what we would likely have done so our listeners understand. We would have taken out their eight oil refineries. That meant no domestic fuel for them uh, whatsoever. Uh, In the near term, we would have taken down most of their power plants that drive their electricity in in in, in Iran, maybe impacting 70 percent, 80 percent of the population. And then we would have taken down all their cruise missiles and their short range and medium uh, range ballistic missiles. That that would
1: be general. That would be a massive escalation. And that would run counter to what this president has said about what his long-term goals are in the Middle East.
0: What what I'm saying, understand what I'm saying. I'm telling you why the Iranians did not conduct a significant retaliation strike against us. And, And that is because President Trump had achieved deterrence. And the deterrence is what I'm just describing to you. They knew full well what we would do if they had actually conducted a meaningful retaliation strike, which they did not do, we would, have, we would have come after them, and that would have been the end of them. They would, have, they would absolutely co- collapse economically as a result of it. Their calculation was if we conduct a meaningful retaliation against the United States for their killing, our number two guy in the country, the risk to the regime and its preservation uh, is on the table. And they backed off. Yeah. And their backing off uh, is going to diminish their credibility in the region. Here's, here's what they have left. The Israelis are checkmating them in, in western and southern Syria to be able to encroach on Israel. They, they, they wanted to establish missile bases there. It's one of the reasons why they're in Syria. The Iranians, they have 80,000 proxy forces there on the ground. Hezbollah um, from Lebanon Hezbollah from Afghanistan and Hezbollah from Pakistan. Probably not well known to many of our listeners who the participants are. Eighty thousand strong. But the they have not been able to put in place a single missile base to be able to approach on Israel, and Israel's conducted over two hundred airstrikes and deny them that. The United States now is checkmating them in eastern Syria, denying them the oil fields. Uh <clears throat> So what is left for them, I think, is largely political. And I think what they will do is try to politically push the United States out of Iraq, put huge pressure on the Iraqi government through their proxies in there to get this final vote and expulsion of the United States. They will declare that as a major political victory for themselves if they're able to do it, and I would agree with them that it is, it would be a political victory for themselves. Would you
1: expect that to happen? There, there, there was a vote. It was non-binding. It was earlier in the week. I think about a half the Iraqi parliament members were there for it who voted yes. Um, the others were absent. That. Do, 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 you, do you, do you, do you see them ultimately being successful under this administration and making that happen?
0: I think this administration will pull out all the stops to stop that from happening because they understand the strategic implications of it. Even though, you know, the president would rather not have huge presence in the Middle East. Uh, but the fact is, we've got sixty to 80,000 people in the Middle East right now, and only 5,000 of them are in, uh, are in Iraq. Uh, yes, uh, we do not want that to happen. And you're absolutely right. Uh, about 172 people showed up for the vote. They were intimidated and coerced. By something that 's called the Khatib Hezbollah, which is an Iranian proxy organization, uh, that officials were also bribed uh, financially uh, to cast that vote. The Sunnis and the Kurds were not there, and even the the people that did vote uh, bill don 't really reflect the attitude of majority of the Iraqi people or the attitude of the majority of the Shias, remember. The Shias have been demonstrating against the Shia regime, the Iraqi Shia regime, and charging them with government ineffectiveness and corruption, and also that the Iranians are backing this regime and charging them also with this malfeasance. Soleimani ordered his proxies, not the Iraqi security forces, Soleimani ordered his proxies in Iraq to fire on those shia militias killing about 350 of them and they continued to demonstrate it backfired on them so the attitude in general in iraq is not what we saw in that vote that was coerced and intimidation the 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 majority of the people want the united states to stay why because they know the united states bill was decisive in pushing back on isis and they, and they also don't like the idea that Iraq is moving towards becoming a client state of Iran. They don't want any part of that. The, you know, the, Ara- the Iraqis and the Iranians who are Persians, the Iraqis who are Arabs, have a long history of not getting along. They do not want the Persians dominating uh, mm. Iraq.
1: You um, said earlier around backed off, and I think at the moment anyway, unless the facts change on the ground, I think you're right about that. And I want to come back to this nuclear question in a moment here. But yesterday you also said, excuse me, it was Wednesday of this week, you said the mullahs are spooked. And I, I think the one question that's come up the most, and I think you've probably been asked this more than anyone, going back to last Friday when the takeout occurred, what comes next? But what do you expect next? What's who has the card in their hand, and what do they play?
0: I think we're going to see a pause here by the uh, Iranians, uh, you know, to, to regroup and rethink. Um, they're absolutely spooked by the demonstrations I told you about. And by the way, so our audience understands these massive demonstrations that they witnessed uh, in multiple cities. Uh, with the funeral of Soleimani are completely staged. The government ordered military personnel to be in civilian clothes. They, they gave all of the government employees off and told the males uh, to demonstrate. They emptied out the universities and told them to demonstrate This they're all ordered to do so. And the, and the guidance was with emotion and with energy and, I don't think uh, people recognize how polarizing the figure Soleimani has been to the Iraqi people because they hold him accountable for the foreign wars that are being conducted, and they believe that they're being conducted at at their expense in terms of the quality of their life experience because the money has gone into Lebanon, into Syria, into Yemen, into Iraq as opposed to helping to improve the quality of life. And they, they have been demonstrating now for a year against that. That's the real attitude uh, of the country. So they're spooked about this. And as the days go by and Suleimani is in his grave, uh, the, the unrest will return because that's the real frustration of the population. Their pension system is completely bankrupt. In other words, nobody is getting the pension check their unemployment and inflation is spiraling out of control, and there's significant food shortages and power outages on a regular basis. All of that will be going on in in the weeks and months ahead.
1: Which is is more pressure. Great
0: question. What do they do? Remember this. Uh, A lot of pundits on other channels are saying, well, they're going to use their proxies to attack Americans. Well, President Trump has already drawn that red line they used their proxies 11 times attacking US personnel who are housed on Iraqi bases and remember it was the 11th one that service four servicemen were killed and Americans uh, excuse me were wounded and one american citizen was uh, was killed and that produced a significant retaliation by president trump so if they used their proxies against the united states there will be a greater retaliation, uh, and they know that. So I think what they'll try to do after they rethink this, and remember now, I believe that Khomeini, the supreme leader, is reeling as a result of what happened to Soleimani, who is his professional cohort and personal friend for 20-plus years. And there's nobody in the conference room with Khomeini now who has that kind of stature and has, and has the confidence of the supreme leaders and the mullahs to take their fear away. Right now, they feel that fear, and they don't have Soleimani to help them to, to cope with it. So I, I think they'll pause uh, yeah. initially
1: interesting it's it's, it's like difficult. losing your wingman or even your your vice yeah. president is the way you're describing it
0: oh yeah yeah absolutely and and, and these are long term relationships i mean you know our our presidents uh come together with a team you know largely for eight years most of the time so rarely for four uh, but these guys have had uh you know lifelong relationships and and you got to appreciate uh what a a, a stunning surprise that was uh, for that leadership and how it's got it back on their on their heels I think they have no choice but to pause and if they do something, bill, I think it'll be kind of out of their old playbook what what they started with, in other words, interfering with uh, shipping, interfering with our allies, the president did did not directly put a blanket of protection over our allies. So I, I suspect, uh, and I'm not saying that's a mistake, I'm just saying he drew a red line about Americans and everyone has got it. Uh, that that's may be an opportunity for the proxies, but they, they have limited choices now, and they haven't been in a box like this, uh, truth be known, for 40 years.
1: Let's turn this uh, discussion around a little bit, and maybe let's focus on what the administration and this president does next. I think there's three points to be made here. Number one, you said this week that the president wants negotiations. He may want that, but do you believe that's realistic when you don't even have direct open channels with Tehran today?
0: Yeah, well, we've been talking to them, and you're absolutely right. You're right on the money there. Uh, we talked to them through the Swiss because we don't have the mi- diplomatic re- uh, relationship. There's no embassy uh, in Iran, and they don't have an embassy here. Um, and, you know, the president told them uh, through the Swiss uh, after Soleimani was killed, I mean, a number of hours later, he, you know, he waited until it was daylight in their country and then delivered a message along these lines that we feel completely justified in conducting the attack on Qassem Soleimani based on the, the fact that he was directing, planning, and coordinating an attack on multiple locations at, um, against, US, against Americans, diplomats and soldiers. That was point one. Point two was, we have no intention of conducting a war with your country. We do not want to escalate to that point. And number three was, we are not advocating a regime change. And I have believed that since the bold move that he made with Soleimani, and the fact that they're pushed back on the heels, it does open the door for some potential negotiations. I don't think they're going to come to that immediately, uh, but... We're on a path to it and a much better place than we have ever been since the president began his maximum pressure campaign. And Remember, right from the beginning, he gets no credit from this from his uh, from his critics. But the objective of the maximum economic sanction pressure campaign is to return to the negotiating table. Got a better deal that has three components to it. One, you stated right at the outset, no nuclear weapons. The second component is no ballistic missiles of any kind. They're, those are the delivery systems for those weapons. And the third thing is change your behavior uh, in the region in terms of your aggression and, and attempt to dominate the region. So those are, those are the three buckets that we're sort of moving towards uh, mm. with the Iranians. And I think we're, while I don't think those things are going to happen tomorrow, I think we're, we're much closer to it than where we were just a few weeks ago. And the second point I'd make to you is the, pre- the president's team will certainly, has as certainly told them by now that, look at guys, we want to talk and we'll do this covertly and secretly, uh, much like Kissinger did with the Viet, uh, North Vietnam in the so-called Paris Accords in the 70s. You know, we can do that, you know, if it's too tough for you politically uh you know, to admit that you're going into negotiations.
1: Yeah. Um, point number two, and then I want to come back to the nuclear program and then I'll, I'll cut you loose here. It's, your knowledge is terrific and thank you, General. Jack Keene is here with me on this version of Hammer Time. What a week it has been with these developments in Iran also at the White House. The other thing the president said the other day is that he would ask NATO to get more involved in the Middle East peace process. And he went on to describe how we're less oil dependent on the Middle East because of fracking here in the U.S., etc. Is that, that would be a, what I would consider, a significant change policy and it would also give him an on-ramp or maybe i guess an off-ramp to bring more troops home and and fulfill one of his campaign promises from 2016 but do you see nato members stepping up and getting involved in the middle east peace affairs in the way that he would like i think there's a possibility here i just hope that who does that? Which leader in Europe or Moscow or Beijing emerges for that?
0: Well, I think the thing that I hope they're able to see the strategic significance of what has happened here by the Iranians truly backing down and, and not escalating based on uh, the president's pushback and, and that recognize that there really is an opportunity And that's what the president is saying. He's saying, hey, follow my lead here. I got these guys on their heels. Let's get together now and let's isolate them even further. What he's frustrated with is France, Germany, and England in particular are all willing to go around the economic sanctions that the United States is imposing at assistance to the, the Iranian regime. In fact, some of those leaders in those countries... Uh, similar to some leaders in our country or from the opposition party to the president, have told the Iranians as, we, as, as recently as in this unfolding crisis that, look it, just wait, wait, take your time, wait out this administration. Uh, president Trump will not be reelected and be able to deal with somebody who uh, will be able to make a, uh, a better deal for you in the long run. So that kind of nonsense has been going on, which I think is pretty outrageous, uh, particularly Mm. when it comes from uh, political leaders in our own country undermining a sitting president that's elected by the American people. But, Bill, to your point, I think the president is spot on here. He recognizes the strategic implications. He recognizes that he has leverage. And he's telling the Europeans, hey, look, come on, take it for what it is. We've we've got an opportunity here. Let's further isolate the Iranians. And as a result of that, let's force them back to the negotiating table. His objective all along has been to get a much better deal and not to use guns to do that, use economic sanctions. The advantage is, is to the United States and our allies if they're willing to, if they're willing to see it. I'm, hopefully in time they'll see it. I mean, they're so emotionally and psychologically um, committed to be to the frustration that they feel when President Trump pulled out of the nuclear deal. I think it's it's denied them the ability at times to see clearly. Likely, the, the guy that will break this thing for him uh, and move in our direction is going to be Boris Johnson. You know, he's already come out and supported what the president was doing with Qasem Soleimani, and and the, and then the restraint that he exercised, obviously. Uh, after the, the Iranians retaliated, and he's, he's thrown the Iranians an olive branch. And and I think that, that'll that be the country yeah. that'll do it.
1: Interesting. Now, in ter- yeah. yeah,
0: but it, it's, the, the president, I, I'll tell you what, you know, I was critical of him in not responding uh, to the Saudi oil field attack and not responding to the 10 attacks when they were firing rockets at, at bases uh, where our troops were, just knowing full well that at some point uh, some, somebody, some American was going to be killed, uh, but he's he's been on top of his game uh, uh, since he began this retaliation, and and he knows where he's got the, uh, the Iraqis. Um, he doesn't want to humiliate him any further. I mean, you know, there are there are pundits on Fox, as you well know, that after the Iranians' somewhat feeble strike against us. The other night, they said we should attack their launch sites, missile launch sites. We should take down their oil refineries. We should actually go after their nuclear capability. That have been the worst possible thing we could have done, to have further escalation. And then uh, we would become the international pariah by, you know, leading the United States and Iran yeah. uh, closer to fair, war.
1: Fair point. <laughs> fair point. Last point I'll make here, and I'll set it up in the following way. We started this conversation with a quote from President Trump. He said, as long as I'm president, Iran will never have a nuclear weapon. Back up six months now, General, and you have oil tankers being seized in the Strait of Hormuz, and then you had the American drone that was shot from the sky. And I think universally the word out of Washington at that time was that the president has to respond in some way. And he came out and said, "Ah, that's okay, it's just a piece of machinery, we've got another one, we can put it up there, and nobody was on board that drone anyway, no loss of life. However, that's our red line. You touch our guys, you kill our guys, that's when things change. So then you've got the Saudi oil facility that was blown up on a weekend, I think it was a Saturday night, and very effective too in the way they did that. And you move toward... December 27th, two days after Christmas, when these missiles are going into um, uh, the the air base there in Iraq, and they take out an American contractor and a few others, and ultimately that leads to um, literally the torching of Soleimani on the road outside the Baghdad International Airport. So then here's the question, General. The Iranians have signaled over the past week that they could have a breakout for a nuclear weapon in eight, nine, ten months, or within a year at at most. If that happens, and if the president has said you will never have a nuclear weapon, and if they declare it to be so, will this president hit their nuclear facilities?
0: Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, And any Israelis would, too. Listen, we, we have, uh, so our, our audience understands, we have got some exquisite intelligence in terms of what is going on with these guys. And uh, let me give you a couple of data points. And, and that, may, that may have prompted that statement, because he, they may have picked up something uh, that the Iranians have committed themselves to as a result of the humiliation they've gone through, as a result of them backing off. They, they may have picked up on some intel that they're committing themselves to accelerate the development of a nuclear weapon. That may have, I'm just speculating, have produced the president's comment, because you were right to seize on the unusual way that was presented. He didn't even say hello yet, and he made that statement. But let me tell you this. I know this for a fact, and I've said it on Fox before. When the drone was shot down, at some point the we knew that that was done by a tactical commander without the authority of the senior leadership in, in, excuse me, in Iran, particularly Soleimani, because he's the operational guy that controls this stuff, and they were furious with that tactical command. And we knew that information. That's exquisite intelligence. Secondly, the attack the other night on the two bases, Iraqi bases, where our truce were that the Iranians conducted with the 15 missiles and four of them failed. We knew hours before the attack was launched that they were going to do it, and we knew where they were going to do it. That, that, that's not the information. Hours later, we got it from the Iraqis, but we knew this in advance. We have got some very, very good intelligence going on here, which may have produced the president's comment. And I think he's signaling to them, and, and believe me, they're going to, they believe him. There's no doubt. When Trump says, I'm going to do X, they're going to believe it because they've seen him do it. And, and, and I think that would be absolute foolishness on their part because it'll, it'll lead to the destruction of their, of their regime well, if they try to accelerate the nuclear weapons. thing. But it remains to be seen, uh, you know, what takes place here. But they clearly know that's a red line for this president.
1: General, thank you so much for your time. We'll speak again very soon.
0: Yeah, good talking to you, Bill.
1: General Jack Keen, thank you. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Talk.